I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, sad day in sports Sunday. Of course, NBA legend and Lakers uh, five-time champion Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna were among nine people killed in a helicopter crash uh, on a hillside in Calabasas just outside of L.A., We'll discuss the legacy of Kobe Bryant and the mournful reaction around sports and the entertainment world over this terrible accident. He was 41, and he leaves behind his wife, Vanessa, and three other daughters. Of course, uh, Super Bowl 54 festivities are underway with the arrival of both teams to Miami. The 49ers and the Chiefs will give you some of the storylines from Super Bowl week. And the NHL and NFL held their all-star games this weekend. Did anybody notice? We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Steve, I know you were at the Pro Bowl uh, about the time that the news broke, first on TMZ, um, and we can get into some of the bad reporting that they did as well. Um, but I, I don't think that uh, necessarily players in the Pro Bowl were aware of it in the beginning. Certainly were, they were during the game. Uh, but it's one of those where, you know, where were you right type moments that uh, we have every now and then, like when you learn uh, recently, you know, Michael Jackson died or Princess Diana when she was killed in a car accident or if you're older, Ronald Reagan being shot or if you're even older than that, John Lennon or John Kennedy. But um, this was one that just takes your breath away, right? Kobe Bryant, only 41 years old, and the details came out very slowly uh, about this helicopter crash um, near his home in Los Angeles, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll skip sort of the, the speculation about the cause of the accident, and clearly it was an accident. Um, you know, there's been reports about weather and visibility and uh, lack of visibility and um, whether, you know, the, the helicopter was in distress and uh, they were trying to, to, trying to land it. But uh, in any event, um, this, is, this is one that, uh, you know, you, you feel bad, uh, so bad on so many levels, not the least of which is is that he died um, with his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, who uh, he had spent a lot of time with, of course, with all his daughters, but uh, her in particular. In fact, um, at the time of the accident, it looks like that, um, you know, he was uh, sort of leaving their home base, um, you know, near uh, Orange County, near John Wayne Airport, and traveling to Thousand Oaks, about 30 miles or so away, uh, for a basketball tournament. Um, he had a, a girls' team that his daughter played on. Um, she had some teammates. We can get into some of the other people who also uh, died in the plane crash. But, uh, yeah, it just, uh, you know, of course, all day long on Sunday, there were all kinds of, uh, you know, look back at his career um, and – you know, just the potential of his second act, I think, would have been almost as great as his first. I mean, this is a guy that's already won an Oscar. Um, you know, he, he uh, had so much to give to the basketball world. He's a big supporter of women's sports in general. 
And uh, mostly, though, he was he was somebody's father, somebody's husband, somebody's son, somebody's brother. So um, I don't know. What was, uh, I guess you learned about it uh, right before the kickoff at the Pro Bowl over there, right? Yeah, it was right about the Pro Bowl. It was just either it was just underway or just getting ready to mm-hmm. get underway. And somebody I knew passed by and says, Kobe died. Um, I'm going, mm. I go, what? They go, Kobe died. And I'm thinking, I'm going, Kobe. I'm thinking NFL. I'm like. Who's Kobe? Because we're at the Pro Bowl and you're just kind of in that mode. Mm-hmm. And, and they, you know, walked away. And all of a sudden, I grabbed my phone and there was all the alerts that, you know, a helicopter crash and, and that Kobe Bryant had had passed away and was one of the passengers in the helicopter. And it was you're sitting there going, "Whoa!" You know, it's you always put things into perspective with your age and that, and mm-hmm. you know, like sports turned when all of a sudden, you know, the college kids were younger than me. And, yeah. you know, then you get pros and Kobe Bryant's younger than me. And it's, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's hard to grasp in that regard. I mean, he's not much younger, but, and, and it was the, at the, the pro bowl, they actually did a tribute to him. Uh, it was at the two minute warning in the first half. And they, they asked for a moment of silence to honor Kobe Bryant. And they had his picture up there with the, you know, 1978 to 2020 and, and, there wasn't a moment of silence because the, the crowd, it was apparent a lot of the crowd didn't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure there were some that did. And I don't think the players knew, or not many of them, because they looked kind of, from my vantage point on the field there, it kind of looked like, what? You know, I think it kind of shocked everybody, I think. And, mm-hmm. and, and the crowd, you know, it wasn't a moment of silence. It was more of a gasp almost than anything. And then there was some Kobe chants that broke out, which was, which was nice to see, but... um you know, he's just he's one of those athletes that you know, he's one of the greatest of all time. We never include him in that debate with LeBron James and Michael Jordan, and I, and I don't think he is as good as those. Mm-hmm. But he's not far off that. I mean, he's he's that type of of good. Um, you know, I heard Jim Beheim talking about, and he coached him in a couple Olympics with Team USA, and and how driven he was, and how. Even at the Olympics and in those practices and in games, he was teaching LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony and and how to how to work, not just you know I mean the talent's the talent, but how to put the effort in and the work and and never stop. And and Beheim specifically said he goes, I never coached this guy, but the only person he come, you know, that I can think of like that was Michael Jordan, and that's the category mm-hmm. that Kobe Bryant was in. And, and and you know, you and I were talking before the podcast how. Kobe was almost a clone of Michael Jordan. A clone may not yeah. be the right word, but he definitely no, mimics a lot of Michael Jordan. Absolutely, intentionally so. It was not an accident. I mean, he idolized Michael Jordan, and he made he made no mistake about his ambition to surpass what Michael Jordan had had accomplished. That he wanted um, six championships, he got five. Um, he was he was almost singularly driven in some respects to. Um, you know, to reach the level of his idol, right? Which was, which was Jordan. And, um, you know, I guess imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And, and there was nobody um, who looked and played in the style and the form that Kobe did as, as, as close to Michael Jordan. There just, there just wasn't from the turnaround, you know, fade baseline, fade jumper to, um, you know, the, the tongue wagging out of the mouth and, and, and of course, uh, his ability to, uh, you know, to, to dunk the basketball and run the floor and, and, and do really do everything. And the leadership that he showed 
um, with the Lakers. And that, that was the other thing, too. He's one of the, the last players, if you will, um, to be so loyal to the team, you know, that he played for. He had no uh, – there was a time, I think, where he, he talked about being traded. But for the most part, I mean, he played, you know, 19, 19 seasons, I think, uh, or 20 seasons, um, you know, with, with the Los Angeles Lakers and uh, had a variety of players. And, and, and he wasn't – I was listening to some of his teammates – Sometimes he was a tough guy to be a teammate of because he was so driven. He expected everybody to feel that same urgency. And, and you know, the NBA is such a grind. And, um, you know, I mean, this is a guy, I remember, that came into the N- NBA at age 17, mm-hmm. right? He was the 13th pick in the, NF- in the NBA draft. And, um, of course, you know, his father was Jelly Bean Bryant, a former NBA player. And he was actually drafted um, – by the Charlotte Hornets. Um, well, no, I guess I guess the Hornets could have drafted him, but in, in, in essence, Charlotte agreed to trade away his rights to Los Angeles um, for Vladi Divac at the time because it was just a high school kid. Nobody obviously knew that he was going to turn into the type of player that he was. But you mentioned, you know, his his accolades that are Bryant, or, you know, that are Jordan esque in that he earned eighteen All Star selections, eighteen. Um, was a regular season most viable player in, in 2008, two-time MVP uh, of the NBA Finals uh, to go with his five championship rings. And, you know, very, <laughs> except for Jordan and um, maybe, you know, some of the Celtics, you know, back in the day, um, not many people, not many individuals have have accomplished all of that, certainly. Now, you know, I don't want to belabor this. I know it has been mentioned, and it should be, um, you know, he, he did undergo a sexual assault allegation back in 2003, uh, and it changed how a lot of people thought about him. And, um, but he still, he still remained very popular among NBA fans. Uh, you know, he kept his family together. Uh, he and his wife, Vanessa stayed together. It was very public, um, embarrassment for him. Uh, it was settled out of court. There were no criminal charges or anything like that. Uh, as it turned out, but uh, certainly his, his brand and his image, you know, took took a big hit then. But he played he he played through it. You know what I mean? Like he overcame it um, because of his longevity in the league, and because I think that he had a desire to change and um, you know and leave a mark in a positive way uh, through his NBA career. You know, I was it was interesting. I was listening to one of these interviews he did towards the end of his career. Uh, when he retired and um, he talked about, you know, he always thought that the most important thing um, was to become this great player, to uh, achieve all his dreams, to try to become the greatest of all time. You know, he always looked inward, right? What, what, what could he, what could he get out of himself? What, how, how could he drive himself to be this, this remarkable player? And if he could just do that, that would be, the ultimate sign of accomplishment for him. And as he, you know, grew older, as we all do, and, and towards the end of his career, he came to realize that, you know, the real gift was the impact he had on other people um, in the game itself, what he had done for basketball, but also, um, you know, in the community of Los Angeles where he was, you know, incredibly beloved and, and, uh, worked, you know, tirelessly there, 
uh, you know, to improve, to improve his community. And, and a lot of that came from the mentorship that he received from Magic Johnson, you know, from some of the Lakers that came before him. I mean, imagine, you know, there, it's sort of like playing for the Yankees, right, Steve? You know, you have all those ghosts, right? Like Mickey Mantle used to talk about, geez, you know, if I got to hear about Gehrig and DiMaggio and, you know, he was always fighting the the ghosts. Well, that's sort of the way it was with Kobe. I mean, they had Showtime and Magic and Kareem and Worthy, right? And that was always going to be sort of the bar that he had to get over. What was it you said Magic Johnson um, wrote about him, I guess, or said about Kobe? He called, him the, great, he called him the greatest Laker of all time. I think about that. Now, here's Magic Johnson, who is – universally been regarded, I think, by many as the greatest Laker, if not one of the greatest NBA players of all time, certainly. Uh, greatest champions, for sure. And for him to say that um, is not without great weight. So, uh, yeah, from a from a player standpoint, you know, I mean, this guy probably, did, and you said this before, probably didn't get enough credit in some ways. I mean, I think we talk about LeBron now, um, you know, because of, of who LeBron is and and the impact that he had on LeBron is not lost. And and here's the irony of this whole thing. You know, I'm telling you, man, there's something, there's, the Lord works in mysterious ways, but literally a night earlier, LeBron James passed Kobe Bryant on the all time scoring list. And the last tweet that Kobe had was in reference to this, but not only that, but LeBron was so aware of the moment, right? And it occurred in Philadelphia against the 76ers. And where is Kobe from? Philadelphia, right? So there were so many, um, you know, so so much symmetry, you know, and so many different things that, uh, you know, LeBron James talked about and how, how he was inspired. He went, he went to, Kobe showed up at one of these camps, you know, these ABC camps, one of these camps that LeBron was at when he was 15 years old. You know, he remembers... Um, seeing Kobe Bryant and and like Kobe, he you know LeBron came out of high school too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't do that anymore, and um, so they shared a lot of the same sort of expectations and um, you know learning how to be you know play uh, you know as a relative teenager in in a man in a grown man's league right um, under those under those kind of spotlights and and pressures, and so there was a lot of things that. Uh, LeBron was, you know, he was inspired by Kobe Bryant more though, more so than even Michael Jordan because of the generational gap. Um, so Kobe was the guy that that he he looked. Of course, if you're watching Kobe, it's like watching Michael in a mirror, right? And Jordan tweeted about you know how devastated he was. Um, just everybody. I mean, you know, I thought ESPN did a an unbelievable job. This is hard to do in in live television, but they were on the air for two hours straight without a commercial break. Two hours straight, just just ad libbing the news, and um, of course getting reaction, and and had a lot of guys, you know, uh, on the set that were uh, NBA players that were obviously you know very affected by it. And so, you know, whether you love basketball, whether you love the Lakers, whether you love Kobe Bryant, um, it, it's just a because he's so famous, and because um, he was only forty one years old, and the fact that his thirteen year old daughter. Gianna perished with him it, it's so incredibly sad uh, for someone you know that you're so aware of to die that way at age 41 and uh, I think it's you know everybody said it I was watching the the Emmys and 
uh, of course, they did they did a tribute with him, Boys to Men, and Alicia Keys and whatnot. But it's true. It's like you just you you know it's a reminder. All of us have those reminders, right? We all lose people. Um, you know, whether it's you know parents, um, God forbid, children, but uh, you know brothers and sisters. I mean, death is obviously obviously part of our lives, and and yet. When something like this happens, uh, sometimes in your busy life, it just reminds you, you know, not to take any moment for granted that, you know, here's a guy. And, and apparently, you know, he would he would fly this helicopter, which was sort of a limousine of helicopters, if you will, um, that he would uh, he would take uh, even during his career. Because if you know anything about L.A. and the traffic uh, trying to get from Calabasas to Staples Center was not was not the easiest commute. So, uh, over the course of a season in practice and games and shootarounds and games and back and forth, uh, he felt that it it would take uh, a lot of the stress off his body, um, you know, to take a helicopter as opposed to sitting in a, in a car or traffic for hours on end. And so, this is something he has done for years and years. Not not anything that he considered dangerous, certainly, and yet you know, this accident occurs this way when he's trying, you know, trying to, uh, you know, fly to his, his daughter's, uh, basketball, uh, you know, game or tournament or practice or whatever. And, um, and unfortunately, you know, also, also claim the life of, of some other people. Um, you know, in fact, uh, was a total of nine. So seven, seven other people were killed in a crash as well. Also killed in this accident was the head baseball coach at Orange Coast College in Costa Mesa. Um, and it wasn't, uh, the guy's name was John Altabelli. He had been a, a coach there, I guess, for uh, for about 20, 27 years, I guess. And according to uh, reports on CNN and others, and I think his college released this information, but Altabelli's wife, Carrie, and their 13-year-old daughter, Alyssa, were also among the crash victims. And so um, there's a whole, you know, whole family uh, essentially uh, wiped out in this, in this accident. And we can assume, and we don't, I don't know for sure, but I can assume that perhaps his daughter um, might have played uh, with Kobe's daughter uh, in this basketball league. But, yeah, just um, just incredibly, incredibly sad situation. You had something else that um, that, that you had seen, I think. On, well, on Kobe Twitter was set well, to go right? in the Hall of Fame this year. This oh, was his right. first year he'd have been eligible in the Hall of Fame. So mm. uh, I assume he'll still get voted in. I mean, he's, Posthumously, he's uh, sure. uh, you know, absolutely a Hall of Famer. So, Oh, yeah. And um, he'd have been first ballot, no doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a sad story. It's one that we'll find out more information about the, the cause of the crash. Again, um, there were reports that, you know, maybe the, the aircraft was, was in trouble, sounded like it was in trouble, that maybe emergency vehicles had been notified of a possible, uh, you know, uh, trouble with this helicopter. Um, there was one pilot, I'm told. Um, and, and so, you know, th- that's, that's going to be secondary and, and, and obviously uh, will not make it any less sad. So for those of you who are, uh, you know, are, NBA fans or, or pro sports fans, I did notice that um, during – first of all, let me just say this about the NBA. I, I think the NBA and their commissioner – I know there was a game underway at the time of the accident or the news of the accident, you know, became available. 
Um, but I thought Adam Silver made a big mistake in not canceling the remaining games in the NBA. I, I don't, I don't understand the logistics of that. I'm sure it's very difficult when people are on their way to the arena at the arena. Um, you know, where, where do you draw that line, right? What, what time zone, uh, are you going to affect? And, and there are TV rights and everything else, but you know, it, it just seems like if you were ever going to call off games, uh, this would have been the day to do it. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, and and but you know, and the the flip side of that is, is sometimes playing the game is therapeutic for everyone too. Um, and I, everybody some, everybody handles it differently. I mean, I you know, I, yeah. I think Kyrie Irving, I saw he didn't play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was broken up and didn't play, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but. You know, yeah. you see guys all the time that, you know, lose a parent or someone and they go out and play that night because they say that's what they would have wanted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't know Kobe and, and maybe the league felt that or, or, you know, I don't know. I mean, could you have canceled games and, and I would have been fine with that. But if the players wanted to play, I'm fine with that, too. I mean, I guess it's it's one of those everybody deals with that differently. I mean, there's no there's I no suppose. right way to to grieve or to handle those situations. I mean, everybody's different. I, I don't know if there's, there was a right way for Adam Silver to do it or not. I, I, you know, I, I, I if he would have canceled it, I would have thought there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah. I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with, with them playing and honoring Kobe the way the teams did. If you saw several of the games um, after the opening tip, they held mm-hmm. the ball and let the 24 second shot clock run out in honor to Kobe. You wore number 24 for many years. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there were some beautiful tributes around the league. Um, so, you know, was it a mistake? I don't know if it's a mistake, but I, I could have been fine either way. Yeah, even in the Pro Bowl, um, after a particular defensive sack I saw where a bunch of players, mm-hmm. including Shaq Barrett, yep. um, you know, sort of had a, um, I guess it was a... Um, they did it a couple a times tr- where they, you they know, did the Kobe signature, you know, fake yeah, move, Jump shot, back. fade away, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. right, exactly, so... They kind of choreographed that um, as a as a celebration as a tribute to Kobe Bryant. So it's going to hit a lot of obviously professional athletes. Entertainment again. I was you know I was watching the Emmys and they did a tribute and um, that was right there in Los Angeles too. I mean people were gathering you know for that big event um, near the Staples Center and and it turned out to be sort of a impromptu uh, you know memorial uh, for Kobe and so it was. Uh, it was a tough night, and you know we'll find out more. But uh, yeah, just just a tragedy with him and his thirteen-year-old daughter, and you can't imagine, uh, as none of us would want to, uh, what his wife Vanessa and and um, you know their three uh, surviving children uh, will have to endure. So uh, pretty difficult. Anyway, ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, this week, and uh, it might sound insignificant by comparison, but uh, there is professional sports, and uh, none less, nothing less than the Super Bowl 
54 in South Florida this week. One final football and, game for the season. Yes, that's it. Now that the Pro Bowl's Pro, over. Do we call the Pro Bowl a football game? Do we call any of those all-star games real games other than baseball? I mean, you were there. It's 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 a. They might as well put flags on them, to be honest with you. I mean, well, what would be the difference? It essentially is flag football. No, it is. It, it's yeah. entertaining, too, and you're seeing you know, some great throws and some, and throw some catches and, yeah. and that. But, yeah, there's, it's not yeah. – it's not football the way you know it. No, um, you know, yeah. as soon as you get your hands on someone, they're down. It's two hand touch, yeah. and and you know, quite frankly, I understand why. I mean, it, it. But you know, there was a time when it didn't look that way, right? Mm-hmm. And and in fact, I can recall when the play sort of started to morph into this sort of you know ballroom dancing as opposed to actual football. There was a warning from the commissioner that they were going to cancel this game altogether if they didn't try to play and compete. Mm-hmm. And that's easy for the commissioner to say because he's not the one like Shaq Barrett who's trying to protect you know potentially $100 million that he has at stake if he goes out here and gets hurt in a meaningless all-star game at the end of the season three or four weeks after many of these guys have last played. So I get it. I get why it, you know they try to minimize contact in a – exclusively contact sport um but it's it's hard it's sort of it's outlasted its usefulness i mean the the party is sort of over it needs to go home they need to do something with this week now they had some i thought they had some interesting challenges i enjoyed those watching you know russell wilson and others try to knock down moving targets and they had one you know pinpoint throws where a db was Sort of in the way that could that could make interceptions. They had a great dodgeball tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some some cool skills things that, frankly, I'm I'm okay with. But as far as putting on a helmet, I mean, it's well attended game. I, I've heard that they may move this to Las Vegas or Los Angeles. That this game, you know, could could well be on the move again. That's been the rumor. Yeah, at the Pro yeah. Bowl this year was would Vegas yeah. be the spot next year? And it's been in Hawaii, you know, before that for years and years. But the quite frankly, it's extremely expensive to put the game on out there. Not very well attended. Not many Hawaiians, uh, you know, could afford what the NFL was was asking for tickets. And so, um, you know, they moved it back to the states and to Orlando, which is great for Central Florida and had the great attendance. All of that. Had a great attendance. Fifty four thousand really was the announced attendance. So very impressed by the number of people that came. It was a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. That certainly didn't hurt. You know, we'd had some cold weather, and uh, this game has had rainy weather in the past, so that that part was really good. Uh, it just, I don't know. It, it just seems as if it's uh, it's run its course, and and maybe a new venue will help it. But um, I'm not sure what they can do. Anyway. Uh, there's real football this week, and of course that's down at uh, Super Bowl 54 in South Florida. I, I kind of wrote this in the Tampa Bay Times. You can read it on TampaBay.com. There's a number of obvious storylines to this game, right? And not all of them was I was able to fit into my 25-inch uh, window here that I had of copy um, for the Tampa Bay Times. But nonetheless, I, I think, Stephen, tell me if I'm wrong, this Super Bowl is going to be about Pat Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, you know, uh, and particularly if he plays well, which I expect he will, and, and if he wins. But here's a guy, uh, even just during the week, that you can't really write enough about somebody like this player because 24 years old, of course, the son of a major league pitcher. And for my money, he's going to become not just the face of the Kansas City Chiefs, but maybe the most recognizable player in the NFL. 
Um, you know, he in his first year as a starter, you know, the first year he came into the league, he backed up Alex Smith. They didn't play him at all. And then last season, he finally got a chance to start. And all he does is throw 50, become the first player to throw 50 touchdown passes in a regular season and then lose in the AFC championship game. And now he's back, and this time he wins the championship game. And so he's in his first Super Bowl in just his second year as a starter. And you're going to read and, and hear a lot of stories. Of course, his, you know, his voice sounds a little bit like Kermit the Frog and just you know the haircut and the show-me-state haircut you know that everybody is getting in the Midwest um, and, and all of that. And, and also just you know the wonderment of how he lasted to the number 10 overall pick in the 217 draft. I mean, much to you know, the derision of, of Bears fans when they saw him take Mitch Trubisky at number two or the Chargers who took Mike Williams, good receiver, but not exactly Pat Mahomes. And then, you know, they had a quarterback, obviously, and now they want to replace him. The Bengals, of course, took John Ross, who hasn't exactly been healthy enough to do a whole lot for them. Um, even the 49ers, you know, at the time, and this was John Lynch's first draft, he took uh, a Stanford defensive lineman, Solomon Thomas. So, uh, you know, of course, he later made the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, but Mahomes was sitting there and, you know, credit the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid for taking him. But for what he has done, uh, you know, this guy could easily, not easily, but could well become the next the next Tom Brady. I mean, he could win several of these. Or here's the other side of it. Could he suffer the same fate as Dan Marino with the Miami Dolphins? If you remember Marino... Mm-hmm. lost to the 49ers in the Super Bowl in just his second pro season. He lost to Joe Montana, and everybody, I mean everybody, thought this guy is going to go to a whole bunch of these Super Bowls and win them. Uh, and, and, and certainly his talent would lend you to thinking that. But for a lot of reasons, not, not all of them Dan Marino's fault, he never made it back. He just never did. And so, you know, you, you think about, you know, Mahomes and all that he has going for him, and as young as he is with a pretty good football team, not not to slight, you know, the 49ers or Jimmy Garoppolo because I also think that he's an excellent quarterback, and even though he gets it done in a little different way, I mean, he's only had to, you know, throw the ball uh, eight times in the NFC Championship game because they were so dominant running it, but he can play. Uh, and, and so for that reason, I think both quarterbacks will be written about but don't you think that this is going to be – we're going to see so much Patrick Mahomes that you, you, you just won't know – there won't be anything you don't know about him by the time this Super Bowl is over. Absolutely. Well, I mean, think about this. I mean, Drew Brees has announced that you know he's going to take about a month and then decide whether he's retiring. Mm-hmm. There's a chance Tom Brady retires. Yes. Although maybe less likely than Breeze. Or but. or writes his final chapter with sure. San Diego. Or, or I keep sure. saying San Diego. The Chargers or right. Oakland or somebody like that. But but my point is if Breeze retires this year, if mm-hmm. Brady retires, Mahomes may be the face of football. Well, that's what I think. I mean, not, you know, that's I absolutely. mean, you know, Brady yeah. or Breeze or, you know, some of those. Aaron Rodgers is still there, of course. And, but. You know, Mahomes at, at, at such a young age too. He might be he might be the new face of football. I mean, he kind of is becoming that. But if those two guys retire, he might be it. Yeah, in Kansas City. Imagine if he played for one of the New York teams. Oh boy. Um, may, maybe the only reason why he you know the only thing preventing him from that would be the fact that he plays for a flyover state like Missouri. But um, but yeah, Kansas City's got a great one. Which brings us to their head coach, who I also think is going to get a lot of pub down there. 
in part because I know Andy, when he's in warm weather, he loves to wear the Hawaiian shirts. Did you see that the uh, the Chiefs honored Andy and his, his love of that wardrobe by uh, many of them wearing those Hawaiian shirts on their trip to Miami? Um, but look, Andy Reid is 61 years old. And he's got a guy, you know, he, he's kind of got the lottery ticket, right? He's got Pat Mahomes at quarterback. And so, you know, many guys are thinking about ending their careers about this age. And I could see Andy Reid saying, you know what? I'm going to stick right here and coach another 10 years because um, he's got a history to overcome. And it's, it's a little bit of a tortured one. It's been 15 years, 15 years since Reid has been in this Super Bowl has mm-hmm. been in this game. He won five NFC championships with the Eagles, but his only appearance uh, in the big game was uh, Super Bowl Thirty Nine uh, against the Patriots. And even when he went to Kansas City, it wasn't, you know, instant postseason success. His first playoff game with the Chiefs, they blew a 38-10 lead to Andrew Luck and the Colts, if you recall that game. But I think that, uh, you know, the Andy Reid is – in many ways, sort of underrated simply because he doesn't have a Super Bowl. But he's been one of the best coaches in this league for many years. And, you know, the game has not passed him by. I mean, he, is, he has adapted and survived, right? He's the spread offense, the, um, you know, the things he's built around Pat Mahomes uh, in the scheme that they have, I think has been terrific. So I think you'll, you'll see a lot about Pat Mahomes and his coach, Andy Reid. For a local angle, uh, this could be John Lynch's best or worst week of his life. <laughs> and there is, there is a way to kind of like soften the blow. It could be in between. Um, but, you know, first of all, kudos to him in his third year as a general manager for finding his team in this game. He is very responsible for the 49ers turnaround. I mean, when he took over, and, and it's, it's a story unto itself how he became the general manager. Of course, he was part of the number two broadcast team for Fox when Kyle Shanahan was named the head coach of the 49ers, and the Niners it announced that they were going to then pair Shanahan with a general manager of some some kind. Uh, and John decided, because he knew Kyle and admired his work, just to cold call Shanahan and say, hey, um, what are you thinking about a GM? And Shanahan was sort of like, well, we got some, some guys of mine. And, uh, and then I guess he got around saying, would you be interested? He said, yeah, I would. And it, it, it surprised him. But – the rest, of course, they met with CEO Jed York, and uh, they hired him, and, and it didn't go well at first. I mean, they lost their first nine games together. Uh, and then in the second year, last season, Garoppolo ends up blowing out his ACL after they make the, the, the trade for him at the end of the first year, and they go 4-12. and 12. And, um, But they kept building and building, and he did this, you know, sort of from the inside out, building with the offensive and especially the defensive lines. They got – between free agents, D. Ford, and others, there's, there's, I think, five defensive linemen that were first-round picks. And so all of a sudden, you know, he finds himself in this game, which would be really cool because he won one as a player. And to win one as a general manager would be incredible. Not many people have done both. Um, but there's one other thing. On Saturday, the day before the game, John Lynch is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the seventh straight year. Nobody... Is, has been a finalist uh, that many consecutive years that, that is in that room uh, hoping to be one of the five modern day players. And so do you think uh, do you think this this you know third year GM teams mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl, he's yeah. a lot responsible. Do you think that helps him in the room? 
I think it helps him for sure. And and this is the way it helps him. They're not going to grade his playing career based on what he's done as a general manager, but it sure as hell makes people remember what kind of player he was. Mm -hmm. Because myself and many others will be writing stories about John. And I think the thing that those voters, and I was in that room last year as an alternate, let me tell you, it's it's a different experience uh, watching that take place, right? Watching the 15 candidates be debated. Uh, and then finding out how they arrive at the five modern-day uh, nominees or elect, elected uh, players. But I, I think that the same traits that you saw or that people who watched his career saw John Lynch bring to the Buccaneers, and, and that is um, his intelligence. Um, you know, this is a Stanford guy. This is a smart guy. Um, his, his instincts, his ability to relate right to all the players – John was sort of the glue, right? He was sort of the communicator among the bunch. I mean, I, you know, Sapp would say a bunch of outrageous things. He would tell Brooks sometimes what uh, – Sapp would say what Brooks needed to say, and Sapp would say it for him because it didn't sound right coming from Brooks, so Sapp would just say, whatever, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Uh, but, but Lynch kind of was the guy that was sort of – the guy that got everybody back on track. You know what I mean? He he was sort of a consensus. He was sort of a, a facilitator, a consensus builder, a guy that 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 everybody could could get along with or go to on that team. And of course, at safety, you have to be a great communicator because you're responsible for the entire back end. But I think to answer your question, yes, I think it helps him because of the visibility that he has, um, because people will be writing about him and remembering his career. I'm told there is some momentum for him, and, and momentum is a big word when it comes to Hall of Fame. Now, Troy Palomalo is also a safety, and we've had a number of safeties over the last few years. For years and years, there were no safeties put in the Hall of Fame. Um, but uh, of late, we've had uh, you know, a pretty good run of them, including Ed Reed last year. Uh, so you, know, you also have Leroy Butler in the room. You have Steve Atwater. So there's a couple other safeties he's up against. Palomalo will go in as a first ballot guy, but after that, it's sort of wide open. There's no automatic, hey, this is the guy's first year of eligibility. He's definitely going to Hall of Fame. You have guys like Steve Hutchinson, who I think is very, very close. Edwin James has been in there for about three or four years. So there's guys that are on the cusp, but I think it does help Lynch. Um, and, and, look, I like John. I know John. Uh, I've, I've done some work in trying to make people aware of what his contributions were to that Buccaneer defense. It still doesn't make sense to me, Steve, that as great as that defense was, Yes, they won one Super Bowl. They did, just one. They probably should have won more. They were great for about a decade, in my opinion. That year, they were among the greatest defenses ever. You can look it up. Statistically, mm-hmm. what they accomplished that year will rival the Baltimore Ravens um, or, or you know, the, some of the Pittsburgh Steelers defenses. I mean, they were that dominant. In fact, they were so dominant, okay, that, yes, they have a first ballot Hall of Famer in, in Warren Sapp and, and Derek Brooks. But that's just two players off that defense. How about this? How about they were so dominant that you will never see a player from that offensive team, that 2002 Bucks team on offense, you'll never see a player even nominated for the Hall of Fame off that team. And you may not see a coach. I mean, John Gruden, of course, was the head coach. But, you know, he has a career 500 record in one Super Bowl. It'll depend on what he does for the second act in, in Las Vegas with the Raiders if John's ever going to make the Hall of Fame. But, you know, his lifetime record is about 500. So you're just not going to see it. And you're not going to see a front office. You're not going to see Rich McKay or, 
you know, anybody else, um, you know, from that front office make the Hall of Fame either. And if you go around and you look at other teams, whether it's the Bears or the Ravens or the Steelers certainly have so many, they also have offensive players and coaches and front office people. Right now the Bucks have two, two players. And somehow that defense was able to be carried by just two players. I think at least a third and maybe a fourth or fifth probably deserve to go to the Hall of Fame after Lynch, you know, Rondy Barber should get his shot or Simeon Rice. So we'll see if um, we can make any progress with that. But uh, I, I hope Lynch wins one of those. Let me <laughs> just I – don't, I don't, I'm sure he would prefer at this point the Super Bowl over anything um, because he has the ability to be a finalist for an eighth straight year and the Super Bowl's in Tampa, so maybe that will help him next season. Uh, if he doesn't make it, but I really don't want him to lose both. I think that could be uh, just kind of a, a, a very difficult weekend for him. I think that, um, you know, of course, Kyle Shanahan, who we mentioned, the um, 49ers coach, you're going to read a lot about him. You read a lot about him and his father. They, they could become the first father-son duo to win a Super Bowl. There's never been one before. So uh, Mike, of course, won two with the Denver Broncos, including one in Miami. Um Look, there's a lot of guys that get their jobs because of nepotism in this league. There's no question about that. But you can't keep them unless you're good. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan has done it the right way. He started, and and some people forget this, but he started here in Tampa Bay as an offensive quality control coach for John Gruden back in 04 and 05. Uh, And then uh, for whatever reason, you know, there's been people that have kind of criticized him, whether he was the offensive coordinator for the Texans, uh, the Browns for a short time, and then, of course, the Falcons, where we remember, of course, him being blamed or responsible for the 28-3 to collapse that they had in the Super Bowl to the Patriots. But him and his father are very similar in that they both sort of run, uh, you know, very good offenses that have an emphasis on a running game and play-action game. Um and so I think it would be, you know, quite a scene if the confetti falls on Kyle and uh, and his father, who won't be far away. His dad doesn't doesn't do game plans, but I bet he suggests a few things. Um, we got some really good tight ends in this game, if you like that. Um, and of course, George Kittle for the 49ers led his team in receiving, and uh, for that matter, so did Travis Kelsey for the Kansas City Chiefs, who had uh, even more uh, with 97 catches for 1,227 yards. So. Uh, really good, really, really good tight ends in this game. Also, historically, uh, you know, so, some some bad things have happened in Miami Super Bowls. And so I'm a little curious. I hope they all obey curfew. I know they're all going to be given the speech that, you know, hey, we're there to win a game. And um, I, I would think that they would be watched closely because Miami and South Beach is one of those places you don't want to get lost. But if you remember Stanley Wilson, Back in Super Bowl twenty three, oh, yes. he was. <clears throat> I he remember was that very back. well. Yeah, you do as a Cincinnati man. Um, it led led them in um, in in rushing and touchdowns in those playoffs, and then on the eve of the Super Bowl, uh, his running backs coach Jim Anderson found Wilson on the bathroom floor, blacked out from a cocaine high, and it was a, it was a relapse, his third relapse under the NFL drug policy. He didn't play in that game and was uh, banned for life by the NFL. Um, And then another Super Bowl that I covered in Miami, of course, the Falcon safety, Eugene Robinson. Here was a guy on the eve of Super Bowl 33. He had been given that day the Bart Starr Award for the player who displays the most moral character 
And then later that evening, that very same evening, he was arrested by an undercover female police officer posing as a prostitute, uh, and and he had offered her uh, $40 for oral sex. So, uh, you know, that, that was – he played in the game. That was the other thing. He played in the game, but he uh, the Falcons lost, and he gave up a 80-yard TD catch uh, to Rod Smith of the Broncos. Not the worst thing that happened to him that weekend was losing a Super Bowl. So – We'll see if Miami claims anybody. And then there's there's other players that are interesting. Of course, Raheem Mostert uh, from the 49ers, the guy that is cut by six teams. And we'll talk to Quan Alexander. I'm sure there's a lot of opportunities to uh, to delve a little further into the 49ers defense. And how about Super Bowl 55, which is just a year away? There'll be a big presence uh, in Miami, in South Florida, promoting the game in Tampa Bay next year. Of course, it hasn't been here since 2009. And let me tell you, the event has changed, and so has Tampa. And Tampa Bay has changed quite a bit since the last Super Bowl. So those are the storylines. There will be many, many more, I'm sure. Super Bowls always uh, sort of take on their own personality. But uh, I think this is going to be an interesting game. I think it's a clash of styles. You really do have an explosive offense against a really, really uh, dominant defense. Typically, the defense, in my opinion, wins those games. But we'll see. Um, Pat Mahomes is a, is a different guy, and, and uh, it's going to be a great matchup. And we mentioned the NHL All-Star game, but we got real hockey tonight. The Lightning are back after, uh, what, 10 days has it been? They play at Dallas against the Stars, so that'll be something to look forward to. Yeah, coming off the uh, the All-Star game, Victor Hedman and Andre Vasilevsky played in that, but the mm-hmm. Lightning had a bye week and then the All-Star break. So, yeah, they hadn't played since the 17th in Winnipeg. They'll be at Dallas tonight. Then they get the California swing. They're in L.A. Wednesday, Anaheim uh, Friday, and San Jose on Saturday before turning home next week. It would be a challenging road trip if it was in any part of the season, let alone one where you've had a bunch of days off. I guess the good news is they'll be rested, with the exception of maybe Vasilevsky and, and Hedman. But the bad news is you've got a tough road swing out west. So that'll be something to watch. Of course, they had a lot of momentum going into the All-Star break, and they certainly hope they have it coming out and i'll be in miami in south florida i should say uh, all week long and tonight will be uh, what used to be media day which i would have preferred they kept um, for print people but uh, instead of it being on a tuesday afternoon now they do super bowl monday night where both teams will um, kind of come onto the stage and be interviewed i think it's at uh, marlins park as a matter of fact and so uh, that's something that, of course, is a TV event, and uh, you have a chance to watch that on NFL Network. And uh, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, sort of the personalities come out of these two teams. And then I'll be there, like I said, all week long. We'll be bringing you stories that you can read on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. So, for Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great week, everybody.